Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger, along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And today we got a bit of a shorter episode because I got to run in about 45 minutes or so. So this one will uh, definitely be under an hour, unlike some of them that uh, um, have been lately. I feel like we've been getting longer and longer as we record more, uh, usually around an hour and 15 or so, which uh, uh, today will be a throwback one because I, I think when we started, it was definitely close to 30, 45 minutes per episode. But um, we have a bit of talk, bit of news to talk about today. There's a couple signings that have happened since we last recorded, um, and also just some early takeaways from the season. Uh, when we recorded last, it was the second day of the heading into the second night of the season, uh, and of course, the day after we're done recording, uh, two massive extensions break, and then another one, uh, one really massive one relating to this podcast. So let's get right into the signing news. Uh, I guess let's just start with the the one that happened first, and that's Brady Kachuk. Uh, he signs a seven-year deal at 8.205714 cap hit. Uh, quite the number there, but um, and it's a little higher this year because he didn't sign until two days into the season. But basically, $8.2 million, uh, quite a bit of money. I definitely have a lot of takes on this. Uh, I talked about it quite a bit on my other podcast, but uh, Chase, I'll, I'll let you go first. What, what did you think of this contract? So before getting into if it's actually plus EV on the ice, something we've mentioned a couple times is like contracts with absolutely no downside other than injuries, but that's true of all contracts. This seems like one of those deals. Yeah, I, um, this is, uh, from the GM signing it sense, like, like there's yes. a chance it's not worth this on the ice, but like people are going to fall all over themselves for Brady to chuck as long as he's clipping along at exactly doing exactly what we've seen thus far in his career, even if he doesn't improve. Yeah. There's a bunch, some deals that get signed. And it's like, even if this turns out to be a disaster on the ice, some team will convince themselves that they can rebuild this player. And even if you don't get massive assets for it, no one is going to blame you for signing this contract. Yeah, exactly. And then, then you get into all the side stuff with Ottawa where there's like all the narratives that they can't convince people to stay and Brady Chuck's probably going to be the future captain and all those things. Like as the GM signing this, I think this is a hugely plus EV thing because even if it doesn't work out, absolutely no one is going to hold it against you. Yes. And that is where I have to step in and I'm trying to balance my fandom and obviously I'm much more uh, invested in the Ottawa centers than I am in any other team and also what surrounds on the ice. If we're talking purely on ice value at this moment, Brady Kachuk is not an $8.2 million player, at least if you're like valuing comparables and what he should be paid as an RFA. Uh, I don't think that's debatable. I think most sense fans would even admit that. Um, I think a lot of sense fans think he can grow into an $8.2 million player, I think so as well, although I'm a little more bullish on that. Um, again, it, it depends what you define as an $8.2 million player. Brady Kachuk, I don't think, is ever going to be this point-per-game guy who you know is throwing up 85 points in 82 games. Uh, what I can see Brady Kachuk doing is scoring 25 to 30 goals, adding another 30-something assists for 65 to 70-ish points on a, a career year or whatever, and then also being a pain in the ass uh, on the ice producing and uh, you know, obviously being a leader on and off the ice. Now, how you balance that, I don't know. 
um, in, in terms of a dollar and cents, the kind of thing. Um, but what is very clear uh, is that this guy is the leader of the team. He is absolutely going to be the name next captain. And the thing from the management perspective, and I think you've done a good job of bringing this up on different contracts, uh, and, and it's not quite the same, but you know, the classic, uh, the Seth Jones deals one, like for Columbus, when you use a guy as a first pairing defenseman or Rasmus Ristolainen, when you use a guy for uh, as a first pair defenseman for four years, first pair minutes, give him all the tough minutes. You can't turn around and say, no, we don't want to pay you like a first pair defenseman. We don't yeah. see you as that because you've been using him as that, right? Yep. Your this, coach has applied it for thousands of minutes at this point. Exactly. This is the same with Ottawa, except it goes even deeper because the GM and ownership sold this guy as the face of the franchise the reason it was okay to rebuild, the reason it was okay to sell Carlson, to sell Stone, to gut the team and be as cheap as possible for three years. He was the face of this. And now obviously there's Tim Stutzla, Thomas Chabot as well. There's other names as well, but he was the main piece that was focused around. You cannot turn around a Brady Kachuk now and go, no, we want to nickel and dime you for a couple of years because it's not worth it to us to get you under contract for seven years. Yeah, you can't even turn around and say, oh, we want to give you like the William Nylander contract when you just said you're going to rebuild around the guy publicly. Exactly. And so when you mix that in with, obviously, there's no denying that Ottawa has been a market that has struggled to keep its stars, not even over the past couple of years, just over its franchise's history, getting him locked down along with Batherson earlier this year. And obviously Shabbat was on that eight by eight. That is absolutely massive for them. Um, and because it, it sounded like Brady really only wanted two or three year deal, but it's not over yet because now the team has to go and prove to Brady and the fans that they're going to spend around this. The, the, the job can't be done at just sitting and signing your three big players and then nickel and diming the rest of the roster because you have an $8 million car, two $8 million contracts on your team. You know, you need to keep spending around and that'll be the next step. But I, I think one more point I want to make as to why this is probably a little higher is uh, no signing bonuses go a long way with this stuff as well. Um, I, I think, you know, obviously I don't know this for sure, but I think if you added signing bonuses into this contract, you could probably get the AAV down at least a couple hundred thousand dollars to where maybe it's just a little under eight instead of over eight. But um, to me, all those factors is why it is 8.2 um, because I saw a lot of the classic, wow, 8.2 for a guy who's never scored over 43 points or whatever it is, uh, takes the day it was signed. And, and that just seems like a bad faith argument. Yeah, it does, especially because it looked like he was taking that step offensively last year, at least into that next tier of player beyond like the 45 uh, 2020 guy he had been. Yeah, exactly. And he's been on pace for 50 plus points every year of his career. Yeah. Yeah. So just hasn't played full years because. Yeah, exactly. The first year. Years. Yeah. The, the first year he was hurt for a couple games, but he was on pace for 52 points. He had 45 and 71. Uh, the second year, it was obviously shut down, so he missed about 10, 11 games to COVID. He had 44 uh, points in 71, which is another 50-point base. And then last year, he had 36 points in 56 games because it was a shortened season, obviously, which is a 52, 53-point base. So he's been playing on a 50 to 53-point pace for his whole career. The idea that he could take that next step and get to 60 points is absolutely not unbelievable to me. Um, I think the biggest growth area of growth for him, though, if he wants to become a true $8.2 million player, is either he's going to have to start finishing on a significant amount more chances, or he's going to have to start finishing on some more chances, but get better defensively, because he does let a lot up at five on five defensively. 
Yeah, he does. And this, this reminds me of the Suzuki contract in a sense where like, you're actually doing the right thing and betting on what the player should be, what you think the player can do in the future rather than what he's already done and paying like 29 year olds. But I love this contract as a bet so much more because of the way he, because of where he lies on the important talent distributions in the NHL. A guy like Nick Suzuki was already really good uh, at the noisiest thing in hockey, which is five on five defense, maybe penalty killing would be worse, but you know, of the main things we look at. And then for Suzuki to justify his huge contract, you have to be like, well, he's going to have to magically jump, which he's young. It's not impossible, but still magically jump from an average offensive player to like a really good one at like driving play and stuff, which is incredibly difficult to do because as you get better and better at a skill, it becomes harder and harder to improve for Brady to Chuck to be worth this contract. All what he has to do is go from maybe literally the worst shooter in the entire league to merely bad, and then go from an absolutely horrible defensive player to merely kind of bad. And suddenly he's such a good play driver offensively, you have an $8 million player. And because those improvements need to come in areas where he's so far on the extreme of the distribution, they may happen just by luck evening out rather than him even needing to improve. And if he does need to improve, it's not that difficult for a guy who's clearly supremely talented to not be one of the worst players in the entire league at something. Exactly. And, um, you know, again, this is more leaning in the intangibles thing. As sense man, I have absolutely no issue with this deal. Uh, I completely understand why it would look like a ton, um, like right off the bat. Like, and I understood when I saw some of those takes that, wow, that is a lot of money. That was, it was a bigger cap hit than I was expecting, to be honest. I thought it, it was going to be like an eight by eight or a seven by 7.5 or so. So when it came at 7.8.2, I was like, that's definitely more than I expected. But, um, you know, at the same time, like Brady Kachuk has improved just and this is purely an eye test thing from me. Um, you know, I, I've watched him 50 plus games every year for the past three years. Now he has pro- improved from year to year to year, uh, despite his teammates getting worse. Like the first year he played with Mark Stone for most of that year on his wing. The second year he was playing with absolutely no one. Like it was like Chris Tierney and Connor Brown were his two main wingers, uh, line mates. I'm pretty sure for year two. And then last year he got hooked up with, uh, Josh Norris and Drake Batherson, which was definitely a big jump. But, um, you know, I, I just, I, as a sense fan, I, I like this deal. I am just more happy that they actually retain people for seven or eight years and they're giving themselves a window to go for it here uh, because that has not been something that we've been used to in Ottawa, to be totally honest. Yeah, absolutely not. That's the other thing. I like the term because um, they're clearly not good enough. Uh, right now so if they went like a bridge deal or something on this and then he got expensive by the time they could potentially be good that would be really bad yeah so um yeah i I like it if you want even more analysis you can go check out my other podcast last word on sense podcast Uh, i broke it down a little bit more there too but um you know overall uh i I do definitely um uh, agree that there is some risk like this is not a slam dunk contract but uh, as a Sens fan, I'm very happy with it, and I'm excited to just watch him. He makes his debut tonight as we're recording this. So um, let's move on. We've got a pair of defensemen as well that signed. Uh, Ryan Pulak signed the night that Brady Kachuk signed. He has an eight-year deal at 6.150. Uh, so they get uh, they had Pelic earlier this year. Now they get Pulak locked down, uh, both at very, very reasonable prices. 
Pulak air uh, Pulak is 27. So, and this doesn't kick in for another year. So this will take him 28 through 36, I guess. So it takes him very deep into his career. And uh, like any eight year deal, it feels pretty fair to say that um, this will probably look ugly by the end, but, Right now, like the Islanders are kind of going for it right now with this team. So 6.15 is still extremely good value, in my opinion. Yeah, I think this is a good value right now. There's like the best argument, I guess, against this would be that his defensive value has been a function of trots, but he was good defensively before Barry trots. So this kind of feels like a contract you have to sign when you're in the position that the Islanders are in where your team's old and going to be bad in the future anyways. Absolutely. And I think, um, no, I, I definitely wouldn't be surprised if he gets a little bit boosted by trots, but also it's not like every single defenseman on the New York Islanders are putting up what he does over the past couple of years either. Right. Like if, if it was that yeah. easy, everyone would be doing it to the exact same degree playing top competition. Yeah, exactly. And he's a, he's a young for this kind of eight year contract. He's only 27 right now, which is important because this will end when he's, you know, slightly younger than if he was like a 29 year old or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, uh, yeah, like I don't think any deal for anyone basically into their mid thirties will end up well, but at this point it's like, um, you know, it kind of depends who's signing it. Like if this was a team like Ottawa signing this, for a guy this age, I would say this doesn't make near as much sense, right? Because, you know, we just talked about how they're probably not going to be good for another or, you know, definitely not ready to contend for a number of years still. But like the Islanders have been to back-to-back conference finals. So whether you like this roster or not, they're in their window to go for it. And they have so much money on the books for guys who are in their late 20s, early 30s already. It, it really doesn't make sense to try and play a balancing act of like selling off pieces anymore. Yeah, exactly. You are who you are. Like the cost has been sunk. You're going to be bad in the future anyways. You have so many old dudes making so much money for so long. You need to keep a guy like this around who's a part of that super important defense pair for you and uh, deal with the consequences later. Lou's going to be long gone by the time those uh, those consequences come up anyway. So I know he cares. Yes, he will. Uh, he uh, loves leaving teams with some consequences behind, but that will be someone else's problem. Exactly. And they are going to look like the devils eventually. And this contract is going to be one of the reasons why, but they might win a cup with him playing on their top pair. So. Exactly. At least gives them a much better chance than when he's not there. So. Yeah. Uh, Final contract we get to talk about is Charlie McAvoy, eight years, $9.5 million kicks in next year. So when he's 25, uh, so it goes from his age 25 to a 33-year season, I guess, 32. Uh, I love this contract. I don't think it should be any secret to anyone who listens to this podcast that you and I are both extremely high on Charlie McAvoy. I think I had him three and you had him one in our defenseman rankings. Yeah, I think the best defenseman in the world just got paid for this contract. Yeah, and I had him top three and said I would have no argument with him being one. So um, I I guess this shouldn't be a shock to anyone that we love this contract. Uh, I I love the term for it too. I think, you know, we just mentioned, I don't, I wouldn't want to be paying anyone too much large money uh, for too long into their mid thirties. This ends right as he's 31, 32 and, or, you know, 32, I guess he would be. And that seems like a very reasonable age to be extending someone to. Yeah. This is the perfect kind of contract. You get his entire prime of one of the best defensemen in the world. I will say, 
the AAV kind of surprised me. This might be a good example of like the difference between good negotiating and a good contract. Like, I think this is a great contract, but I don't know if this was like greatly negotiated because Charlie's McAvoy's best asset relative to the NHL average defenseman is his defensive play, which does not typically get you paid. Yeah, I do think that there's some kind of like, you know what we just went over with Brady importance to Ottawa. I do think everyone in Boston and most people around the league even realize how bad that defense core in Boston is starting to look after Charlie McAvoy. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Like he, he could realistically make up like 80% of the war coming from that back end this year. Yes. And like even the most casual of people, I think kind of recognize that as well. Yeah, like I don't think the median fan probably understands how ridiculous McAvoy's on-ice impacts are, but like to understand that he is way, way, way better than the rest of the Bruins is not a particularly hard – Bruins defense core is not a particularly hard conclusion to come to. No, not at all. Um, So, yeah, I think this is a great deal. Um, I wasn't – I was shocked at how many – and maybe this just because – is just because of um, um, what you just said, where he doesn't really have the offensive numbers. But I was surprised even on like people I follow on Twitter, where it's very stats heavy that uh, some people weren't even sure if this was like that great of a deal. I was like, this is slam dunk to me. It's like, sure, it's a lot of money, but he is an unreal player. Like, I I just don't think that can be uh, said enough. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's again standard caveats. He could get hurt, all of those things, but nothing we've seen from Charlie McAvoy uh, makes this deal worth worrying about to me, especially given how young he is, how ridiculous he's been thus far. He's cycled through different defense partners, some good, some absolutely horrible, and he still keeps plugging along. Like he has done literally everything you could realistically do, minus like an 80 point season, I guess, to have complete faith in this deal at least relative as much faith as you can in eight year nine and a half million dollar contract. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he's about to get power play one time for like the first time in his career this year. And if his points do take a jump, it wouldn't be a shock. And I think it's smart to get him under contract now before he's asking for like 10, 10.5. Yeah, exactly. I know it kind of looked like he was going to get power play one time last year, I think. And then he didn't end up doing it. So it'd be worth watching whether that actually ends up being true by the end of the season or whatever. But if your plan is to play him on power play one, sign him now. Don't do what the Leafs did and play play Marner with Tavares and uh, power play one time and all that stuff and then wait and sign him when the when the contact's about to get way better. Yeah, exactly. And for curiosity, I went, I just went to Evolving Hockey to check what their contract projection had. And for an eight-year term, they had a 8.439, so almost 8.5. So this is about a million dollar quote unquote overpay compared to comparables and like what they would have projected based on history for people that produce his time on ice and points is a big thing for this model. Um, which is why it's so accurate, which is again, just kind of scary to think. Scary about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I still think, yeah, this is very much one where it's like, um, I think the one thing you can say is it's a bit of a, I don't know if changing of the guard is the right word, but how many times have we seen contracts just sign in Boston? Where it's like, that's team friendly. That's the, like the Pasternak contract. 
I push back on the Marshawn one a little bit because he wasn't this point per game, absolutely beast winger when he signed that. Like he was a good winger, but he had a weird aging curve where he became better after, but still even the Bergeron contract's been a steal from day one. Everyone's known it. Chara was always underpaid on that team. Uh, that's starting to not happen anymore. Like he, he demanded his money and he got paid here. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. Cause when, it's one advantage of having the Bergerons on that low contract, apparently, is you can kind of help suppress everybody else's salaries. It's hard to ask for, you know, $12 million when Bergeron's making seven, but it's nice to see McAvoy get paid. And as a Leafs fan, I'm quite happy to see Bruins start making big money. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, and, and I guess like uh, to my point too, like Taylor Hall did just sign for four years at $6 million, which is an extremely reasonable contract. So it could just be the more defense, like it was just McAvoy got paid and it's because they know how important he is to that decor. So, um, you know, maybe it's not uh, changing of anything, but this is definitely their first like fair market deal. It feels like they've signed in a while for their big name player. That's not when they sign in, you go, how the hell did they get them for that cheap? Yeah, it's not like a huge steal or whatever. And again, like his on-ice value, I do believe is more than this. But like as far as negotiating goes, I don't think this was like a master class by the, the GM or anything. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like it's one of those things where like I also won't blame a GM for not wanting to piss off a star player um, when oh, he's absolutely. this important to your team. But yeah, it's definitely one of those things where it's like you can love the contract, but also be like, there was probably an avenue he could have got him a million or two, a million cheaper or whatever. But long term, does that really do anything to help your team? Probably not. Maybe not. You know, like I don't know. Yeah, yeah, like can't hurt. But yeah, exactly. Um, all right, let's go to another big piece of news before we're just getting some early season takeaways here. Uh, Evander Kane. Yep. <sighs> Twenty-one game suspension. Uh, has really nothing to do with any of the stories that came out of this offseason uh, about, you know, the gambling or, or anything like that. Uh, breaking COVID protocols, it sounds like, and I don't think this has been confirmed, so this is just what's been alleged, but it was alleged, he allegedly tried to fake a vaccine passport. I don't know if it was to try and play games or, or try and, like, do something in his free time or what, but he completely broke NHL protocols. Uh, he gets hit with a 21-game suspension, which... Like, that's a lot, dude. That is a ton of time, and he's not appealing at all. So he loses a quarter of his pay this year as well. Um, it's just a quite uh, interesting story, considering uh, how thin ice he seemed to be on in San Jose anyways. Uh, I'm going to be very curious if he ever plays a game for them again, to be honest. Yeah, I've seen a bunch of that. CNHL. I feel like I'm going to be more surprised if he doesn't play again than if he does. I think he'll play again. I just don't think it's going to be for San Jose. Yeah, I mean, San Jose probably hopes not. Yeah, like, I mean, well, and it's funny because he did have a career year last year, but, like, uh, I don't know. Like, if you're looking objectively, I guess I, for he, he's one of the contracts that are, like, lumped in with the bad ones, but he's only got two more years left at this. I absolutely see a team taking a swing on him, um, whether that's smart or not. I can definitely see a team taking a swing. I, and I don't think it's going to cost too many assets to get rid of him. But uh, from what it sounds like, like the locker room doesn't love him at all anymore either. And, um, you know, he's had trouble wherever he's gone. And for the first couple of times, I kind of thought that, you know, 
like how often do you see organizations badmouth players on their way at the door? It happens all the time, right? So especially like a person of color in the NHL with character issues attached to them. Exactly, right? It's usually very stereotypical. It's like, oh, character issues, sure, that's code word for something else, and we all know what it is, right? But like this really is just seeming like a case where he is just genuinely not a good person. Yeah, a very least a stupid person. Like, I can't believe he actually tried this. Well, and that's the thing. It's like, I can't believe he tried it in general, but especially after this offseason when he just went through. Yep, all eyes on you. And, like, this is the kind of thing. Like, he got singled out. But, but like, you can't complain about getting singled out if you have a giant spotlight on you. Exactly. Like, he just went on this big tour to, like, defend his name and this is the first thing that happens after he's done that yep also i was kind of surprised this is only 21 games this is a felony correct uh yeah i'm assuming it it depends i guess what he was trying to use it for but yeah i would assume faking a vaccine passport would be very illegal yeah like it, it sounds like something that would be like a legitimate crime not just a you forfeit the the privilege of playing 21 games in the NHL. Yeah, but I mean, like, when was the last time we saw a 21 game suspension? Oh God, was it like the Rafi Torres one? Probably. Probably that stood, yeah, because Tom Wilson got 20, but it, it got appealed down to 12 or whatever it was. Yeah. So, like, I, I agree. Where it's like this, I think it should be longer, but I think that speaks more to just the incompetence of how they can suspend people and how long people get suspended for than anything else. Yeah, that's fair. And I assume this was like uh, bargained for in the CBA somewhere. Yeah, probably. I have no idea, but that would not shock me even a little bit. It seems like something that's probably in there. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely agree. Um, I don't need to talk much more. I just need to be brought up. I, the the sharks are you know we can move that I can we can use this to actually start moving into um, you know what we've taken away from the first week here uh, I think it's important to remember not to overreact uh, every year this kind of happens where after three or four games there's some absolutely wild uh, looking standings and especially over the course of an eighty two it'll balance itself out um, not for every team obviously but um, we'll get to Buffalo in a second they are not going to stay. It's the one of the best teams in the NHL. Uh, San Jose's looked better than I thought they would to start the year. They absolutely laid a beat down on the Canadians. They only have played two games, but they're two and zero for four points. They laid a beat down on the Canadians the other night. Uh, they are in Ottawa tonight and Toronto tomorrow. So we'll see how they make out in those two games as well. Um, but it'll be interesting to see. They they haven't seemed to miss Evander Kane yet, but. Uh, um, and, and shocker, even if it's not a great upgrade, Martin Jones, not in net team suddenly gets better. It's funny how that works. eh? It getting rid of one of the worst goalies in the league. Quite crazy. Um, uh, I have some things written down for early season here. Uh, let's get into Buffalo, I guess for, I no, 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 let's go to Montreal. We'll, we'll connect from, uh, San Jose because the San Jose was really the tipping point. Uh, so we both projected that Montreal would struggle this year. Uh, definitely compared to what they did last year. I think 95% of people admitted that they were not a true Stanley cup team, you know, our Stanley cup final team um, and that they were going to have a hard time. But I think a lot of the, the, 
majority of people still assume they would be right on the cusp of a playoff spot. And oh my gosh, has the season been a disaster to start for them? Yeah, this has been horrible. They're, they, go ahead. It's, not, it's just nice to see, like, I cheer for teams with a horrible process to fail. <laughs> and it makes me smile when it happens. Yeah, I mean, like, so they're 0-4. The good news for them is the two teams right ahead of them right now are the Boston Bruins in their own division, I should say, are the Boston Bruins at 1-1 one and one and the Tampa Bay Lightning at 2-2. Two and two. So two wins and you're suddenly caught up with the Tampa Bay Lightning. You know, like, it's very early in the season. There's lots of time to right the ship. But 0-4 with a minus 12 goals differential. They've only scored three goals in four games. You just, you can't draw it up worse than that to start a year. Yeah, that's pretty awful. And every point's going to be incredibly important to these guys because uh, they're not that good. The other scary thing is like they're not even doing the typical Canadians thing where they they have like a 56% XG or whatever. And they're just uh, they're just not getting lucky. Like they're getting legitimately outplayed too. Well, they're getting dumb. It doesn't even look like they're trying. Yeah. Like it's just, it, it's gross. And uh, like, I haven't watched all their games, but I've heard Cole Caulfield just looked like an absolute mess out there. And, you know, like this is... Oh, sorry. Well, preseason, Cole Caulfield had like a 21% implied odds on the Calder. And, like, I get he's good, but I thought that was insane. Yeah, like, people were just penciling him in for 30 goals. It's like, how... Why? It's like, A, how many times have we seen that actually happen? And B, the weirdest thing is to me is the people who like buying like the sophomore slumps and stuff like that. And, you know, are like, Oh, like I played the game. I know how hard it is. Once they adjust, suddenly just lose their mind when they see a guy play a good 20 game playoff. Yeah. Stretch. He scored at like a, what's, what's four times four, 16. He scored at less than a 20 goal pace in the playoffs. And he yeah, was like, just like penciled in to be this like dominant goal scorer for them, which yeah, it, it, might be in the future or even this year. But like, Jesus Christ, people needed to relax a little bit. No kidding. And like a lot of that became he had, I think it was like three goals in four games or something like he had a, a bunch of them there. And then he went real quiet for uh, in the finals. And I think part of another series, too. But like, it, it's just it's one of those things where it's like people just absolutely lost their mind penciling this guy in for like massive point production there like i saw some habs fans and this is not all habs fans obviously there was ones who say let's pump the brakes a little bit too but like i saw habs fans just being like oh at the minimum he'll replace what Tatar did in the regular season like he might even like be able to replace like um uh who else did they lose uh, uh what's the name to know the yeah. they, they were like he might even be able to place like not obviously not playing center but what he did point wise it's like what are we talking about here, guys? Like, these, like this is one of the most dominant five-on-five five lines we had seen. And, yeah, it's not like they absolutely jumped off the page point-wise, but, like, just expecting any 20-year-old to jump in and do that is unrealistic. Yeah, exactly. Especially a, a not, like, first or second overall pick kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, like, apparently Romanov has looked awful. Um, and shocker, like they're seeing some serious regression on the back end. Uh, it sounds like Edmondson filled in. <laughs> yep. It sounds like Edmondson's taking a personal leave. So hopefully everything's okay there. But um, yeah, like this has just been an absolute mess for the team. Um, and, you know, I can't remember a time 
from a, a team that was even relatively close to the Stanley Cup four games into the season, and everyone I see on Habs Twitter is like begging for Shane Wright. <laughs> yeah. Now, <laughs> this shouldn't shock me because a lot of the same people I see saying that were like actively wanting Montreal to sell all of last year, which given the evidence, again, I don't even think is like the worst call or whatever, but like then they ended up obviously going on a Stanley cup finals run. And it's just like, you would think that that would at least put a little bit of hope into this fan base, but no, a majority of them are still like this season is lost. We're just accepting it four games in it's time for Shane, Wright. I actually respect that level of self-awareness and not just being like, no, trust me. We're really good. We went to the cup finals last year. Yeah, like it, it's, I, I, I do too. Do. I, I don't disagree with the logic. I just, it's hilarious. Like I can't remember any time that that had happened. Yeah. Cause even like Sens fans were so convinced that team was good. Cause they took Pittsburgh to seven. Yeah. Like it, it, and even like they started, good. Ottawa started like three and oh without Carlson that year. And I remember people like, when we had Carlson back, everything's going to get better. And then it was like they yeah. made that Duchesne train and everything just went downhill. It felt like but, it took the, the Sens being mathematically eliminated from the playoffs to finally get rid of the hope in the fan base that year. And, and even then it was like by the by the time like January, February rolled around, it was like, OK, yeah, this team's out of it. But like the focus was just like, how do we roll it back next year? Yeah. <laughs> and like. This bunch are all like the fan base. And again, like, I, I don't even think wrongfully so is like looking to do a mini rebuild. And now the one thing I will say is just like, there's already talk about like Ducharme being on the hot seat. And this goes back to the conversation we had in the off season about like, if the difference between extending him and firing him was having a lucky turnover against the Leafs, which leads to granted good play for the rest of the playoffs, but like, Literally, if one extra goal from Toronto goes in and that's the difference between you firing him and keeping him around for the job, it probably screams he wasn't the right person for the job anyways. Yeah. And like if four games in, it's already this guy sucks. He needs to be fired. Maybe he wasn't the right guy for the job anyways. Yeah. If it's that obvious to you after what's that, like 80 minutes of hockey? You, yeah. it, or five, uh, not 80 minutes. Five on five. Minutes, yeah. Like a hundred or so minutes of five on five. Like it should have been obvious to you before. Yeah, probably. And then, um, you know, even like Bergeron doesn't have a contract and it like kind of seems like an open secret. There's a good chance he just walks away and goes, joins another. I can't remember if it was LA or where that. Apparently it's LA. Where did that come from? I have no idea, but like, there people have just like made that connection and, like, I, I don't think it's out of nowhere either. Like, I'm pretty sure there's been, like, an, an actual, like, connection between the two. And I was like, oh, I didn't know this was a thing. But, but yeah. Yeah, so, I've seen that a couple times. I was like, where the hell did this come from? But, uh, mm-hmm. like, I, I'm sure it's real if it's being said that like, often. Again, I was completely unaware of it. If that was the case. We were contract after that cup final run. Yeah, and, like, if, if this is, like, how long, if you're the owner – can you go without getting rid of, like, you can't just let Bergevin finish this year if you're not planning on extending him. Yeah, like, I wouldn't want him being in charge when, like, if they're out of it early, I have to assume stuff like draft prep uh, begins. The the trade deadline. deadline. Yeah, like, all of these things, like, are really important to the future of your franchise. And if you know the guy's not going to be there, I can't imagine having him there. 
uh, is a good thing long term. No, I I completely agree. So um, it'll be interesting. You don't want the Oilers letting Shirelli negotiate the uh, Koskinen deal. Yeah, the Koskinen deal, and then get fired like the day after or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, So it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Uh, I got a couple other things. One, Buffalo's three and zero, and they're actually like playing well is the most insane thing. Uh, Like they're playing very very low event defensive hockey, and it is so far been effective. Yeah, it's absolutely wild to me. Um, maybe Don Granado is just a god. <laughs> yeah, maybe he'll just absolutely go on a Jack Adams tear. Uh, I, I think they'll obviously come down to life uh, or come back to life. They're, they're going to be like Craig Anderson, I think, is a 940 through three game or two games already, three games already. He's 40, year old, 40 years old, but probably not going to um, yeah. stick. So, yeah, exactly. But on the bright side, um, like Cousins and Dalene have shown actual signs, uh, at least super early, and that's good. It's some really might even say, matters for them. Some might even say Dalene was the first or second person in his draft class to reach star status. Yeah, that was wild. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we don't need to get into that. Uh, we have about 10 minutes left. Two teams I really do want to touch on, though. One is the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, we talked about them so much this year. They look like a great team. Um, we talked about how they had lost some forward depth this year. And right now that is coming back to hurt them quite a bit because they were out they were without McKinnon for a little while. He had COVID Landis Scott got us, just got suspended for a game or two. I think he's back now. Um, but they, they've just been facing a bunch of injuries, uh, up front and, um, and even Frank Hughes is down now too. So we were wondering in net what they were going to do if that happens, but, uh, Taves is on the injured reserve. And so is Valerie Matushkin. Uh, we talked about this being like one of the only weaknesses and it's coming to fruition very quickly. Uh, you know, I have full confidence that the abs big guys will get it on, on track here. Like they're, they've started the season one and two, they're not going to be fifth in the central by the end of the year. But, uh, I do think that this is already poking a noticeable hole that, uh, if there's one thing the abs need to go do this deadline, it's probably go get some depth, uh, up front. Yeah, it is absolutely going to be forward depth. Are they like the new Penguins? We're just like half the roster has to be hurt at all times. Like they sign a deal with the devil where you get way more talent than any team deserves, but half of it's hurt at any given moment. Yeah. I mean, like it kind of feels that way, but it it feels less because it feels like there's always just like one really important player hurt, but they have like six really important players so they can usually just cover up for it. Yeah, it's not like one of the pens built around three guys and one of them is constantly hurt. Actually, yeah. two of them and are you Two of them, yeah, it seems like. like It's like two of Latang, Crosby, and Malkin seem to always be out for like a decade. Yeah, whereas at least uh, like McKinnon's plugging along. Yeah, and like Rantanen's missed a little bit of time, but it hasn't overlapped too much with McKinnon and like Landis Gog is usually still there if either one of them miss. And then obviously on the back end, you have McCarr, Taves, Gerard, like... It's just an embarrassment of riches, but I'm, I'm really curious to see what they do at the deadline too, because they don't have a first this year. They don't have a second. They don't have a fourth. They don't have a fourth next year. And they don't have a third already in 2024. They're going to have to get really creative at this deadline. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I just, I feel like it's probably too early to be trading away your 2023 first. I mean, they might do it if the, the right player comes around, but I just, can't see how you justify moving your 2023 first unless it's for a guy who has more than one year of control. 
if there's term, but them adding term is probably pretty dicey given the cap situation they're in. It would have to be like one. I think it would be like the like a one point five kind of year. You know, like, like the so they would be up stuff. when McKinnon is up in two years. Yeah, that would make sense actually. That's probably the only way they can do that. Mm-hmm. And that's like to me, that's the only way it really makes sense to move their first round pick. But um, I just, yeah, I, I'm just curious to see because like even and, and me and you have talked about this off air before, but analytical models absolutely love their depth heading into this year. Is like, like I think it was the twins who said, even with McKinnon out, they have, they have um, the avalanche as the best four group in the entire NHL. And that just seems like such a stretch. Yeah. That seems ridiculous to me. But I mean, I'm sure there's a reason for it. A lot of the forwards are a lot better defensively than I think a lot of people, even a lot of people who pay a lot of attention to the league would realize. But yeah, like it's like the big guys are all still there and their forward depth looks horrible. Yeah, like they're just actively dressing Darren Helm and Jason Megna. Yeah, Mikhail Maltsev was apparently in the top six, according to Daily Face Off. And forgive me if he's great, but I have never heard of that name before. He's a fine bottom. Like, if he's on your fourth line, you're not going to play. He's 23, but, like, yeah, like, he should not be playing in your top six. Yeah, he scored nine points on the Devils last year, apparently. Yeah. Uh, That's probably not a good sign if you have a depth player from the Devils in your top six and you fancy yourself a contender. Yeah, so, uh, I obviously, they're dealing with some injuries. They'll get some guys back, and... Uh, I'm sure they will be fine, but it was something that uh, caught my eye early in the year is that, you know, this team that we all have pegged as a juggernaut and for good reason is already starting to face some uh, early troubles. And that goes uh, to their Eastern counterpart, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, Kucherov looks like he's going to be out for some time again. Uh, Way less important, but Bogosian's out for a while. But um, their thing is more they lost their entire second line and we kind of thought they would naturally just like, I mean, there was concern, obviously, but then being, we've seen it so often with Tampa that most people just assumed it wouldn't be an issue. You know, Boris Kachuk, Taylor Radish would just step in. And it's not like they've been, I don't think they've been actively horrid, but uh, this team has struggled to get going in the, the early going here. Yeah, losing a whole line we thought was going to be offset at least decently well by having Kucherov. But that sucks. That's the one problem with the position the Tampa Bay Lightning are in. They're still great. Um, I doubt unless the playoffs or anything, but you become a lot more fragile. Yes, absolutely. I think we've seen it with, you know, the Chicago's and even Pittsburgh at times too. It's what the salary cap does to any good team. When you have to lose some pieces, you you don't have that margin for error that you did the previous couple of years. Exactly. Last year, they plugged along in a, with really good teams without Kucherov it's going to be a struggle if they don't have Kucherov for the year, like people are talking about. And again, I still don't think they'll miss the playoffs or anything, but I think they will be like a noticeably worse team than the Toronto, Boston's and Florida's not as close as they were to like Carolina and whatnot last year. They will need um, Vasilevsky to be what everyone thinks Vasilevsky is. Yeah. It like me slime dunk, just best goalie in the world. This, this could be a season for him to really, or to, for, for us to just get data points on what he truly is, you know? Yeah, if the, if the Tampa Bay Lightning are finally human, see what he looks like in front of them or behind them. Exactly. Like, is, is he actually this just absolutely best goalie in the world that doesn't cave under pressure and, and uh, 
you know, can play those massive minutes, even if the team doesn't look as great, or is it, yeah, his numbers are definitely inflated by an unreal team that's been from three years. And it could be a little bit of both who knows, but um, it'll probably be very, yeah. Like, I don't expect him to throw up like a nine thirty or anything like that, but he cannot be like a nine ten with like four goals saved above average. No, if this team wants to compete for the division title without Kucherov. Yeah. Yeah, he'll need to be really good to compete for that division title because any of those Toronto, Tampa, and Boston, um, or Toronto, Florida, and Boston, I mean, maybe one or two of them aren't going to get good goaltending, but one of them will get really good goaltending almost certainly to go along with really good group of skaters. That's going to be tough. Yeah, exactly. Hey, Alex Barry Boulette's back on waivers today, so maybe they'll pick him up, the, the homecoming. True. Um, I think that's all I got to get running here in a couple minutes. Uh, thank you everyone so much for listening. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at NHL sends and stuff chase on Twitter at CM hockey 66. You can find all my work at last, uh, last word on hockey.com. And obviously I mentioned my other podcast earlier in the episode at last word on sends. If you want to hear more on my takes on the Brady Kachuk contract and the sends start to the season. So thank you everyone for listening and we will be back with you next week.